Hi there. I'm Sue Alvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 91. And today I want to continue talking about the importance of taking delight in our children's achievements. Also, how can we encourage our kids to learn right from wrong? Do we have to be perfect parents? And I have a few stories to tell along the way, including one about Elvis Presley. Yes, I'm back with episode 91, and it's only been a few days since my last episode. I must be on a roll. I did think about stopping podcasting at episode 90. For weeks I've had that number in my mind. I can't stop. At episode 89, that number doesn't sound right. I'm a person who likes numbers, and the number 90 sounded much neater than 89. To do a series of podcasts and finish up at number 90 sounded okay to me. But now that I'm making episode 91, I guess I'm going to have to go all the way to 100. Otherwise, I'm not going to feel right. So I hope I can do that, that can I can find enough interesting things to talk about. And if you would like to suggest some topics, if there's some things that you would like me to talk about, then please come over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, or to my Facebook page of the same name, and stop by and make a few suggestions. Well, last week... You might remember that I was talking about how I went from being a gold star student to just being sort of above average. I didn't fulfill the early promise that my parents and teachers saw within me. Yes, they had been hoping for a lot more than I actually produced. And in some ways I look back and I feel that I disappointed everybody. What happened to me? Well, in the week, I remembered another story about fulfilling other people's expectations. Yes, high ones. When people put expectations upon kids and kids feel a little bit pressured, well, a lot pressured, it's a big burden having to live up to what other people think they should be doing or what they think they can achieve. And my parents always had this dream that I would become a doctor. And I had that early promise. So they encouraged me to follow that dream. And then when I was about 11 years old, I can remember one day I was at a girl's school and we were all shown a video. Well, it wasn't a video in those days. It was probably a film on a projector. We all sat in the viewing room, the projector room, the lights went out and this film was shown to us. It must have had something to do with the medical profession. Maybe we were shown scenes of a surgery. At least we were shown some blood. It couldn't have been all that bad because, as I said, we were only 11 at the time. I'm sure there would have been a lot of complaining parents if we had been shown things that were above our age group. But anyway, one of my friends started crying in the middle of this film. Obviously, what she was seeing on screen was affecting her. She didn't like seeing blood and people in pain. And so she sat there and cried. And then another person started crying as well. 
and I can remember just thinking, I'm going to join in, so I cried as well. But soon I wished that I hadn't, because of the teacher's reaction. Of course, the teacher couldn't ignore the sound of a few crying girls. She herded us all out of the room, and we had to go and sit in the principal's office. And then I could hear her talking to the principal about making a list of our names. And I could hear her saying, These girls must never do anything in the future that involves medicine or blood or anything of, of that kind. They haven't got the temperament to deal with it. I was horrified. I thought... My parents are expecting me to be a doctor. What are they going to say to me when I get home and they find out that the teacher has put my name on a list and said I must never become a doctor? Oh, I just hope the teacher wasn't going to send a report back to my parents because I didn't know what I was going to say to them, how I was going to justify what I did that I cried. Because really, I don't think the film had affected me that badly. I think I just jumped on the bandwagon with all the other girls, let my emotions get carried away. Well, it seemed a good thing to do at the time, but yes, I was horrified afterwards. I don't think the teacher actually did send a report back to my parents, and so I continued along. I was expected to be a doctor. Well, fortunately for me, because I didn't want to become a doctor... I wasn't clever enough. I didn't get high enough grades. Or maybe I was clever enough, but I didn't have the passion to do it. Because I think that it is amazing what a difference having a passion makes. When we're interested in something, nothing will stop us learning it. So if I really, really wanted to have become a doctor, I am sure that there was a good chance that I could have become one. With my own children, I am not imposing any expectations upon them. They can do what interests them, what they're good at, what they feel they want to do in the future. I'm not saying to them, you must do this or this is, will be a secure job option. I'm not making them learn things just in case. Just in case one day they might want to be a doctor and they should do these subjects for instance. Instead, I'm taking an interest in what they're interested in. So what would I say to you? I would say find out what interests your children. Take delight in their achievements today. Taking delight in our kids' achievements. I've been thinking about that. Should we praise them? I think I've talked about this in a previous podcast, and I think people do hold back on the praise. It's not good for them. They begin to think that they are wonderful. They won't strive for more. They'll think they're better than other people. Well, as I said before, I think we should praise our kids. We should also praise other people's kids as well. Our kids need to know they're doing a good job. It gives them confidence. And I think this is the difference between me and my daughter Imogen. We have very similar personalities, but there is one difference. She has so much more confidence than me. I only have to look at her Facebook page and mine to know that. Imogen believes that people are interested in what she's doing. 
because she believes in herself. Now she doesn't believe that she is the best. She knows that she has more to learn, but she believes that she can keep learning. She can keep using her talents, and that what she's doing is worthwhile. In contrast, I'm a bit apologetic. I invite people to read my blog posts, or watch my videos, or listen to my podcasts. But I'm thinking at the same time, it's okay if you don't. You probably have too much other things to do. Maybe what I'm producing isn't what you want to hear, to watch, to read. Yes, I hold back sometimes. Am I doing something worthwhile? And of course, I know I am because occasionally kind people do stop by. They send me a message and they say, "Hey Sue, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Keep on doing what you're doing." But I still can't get the voice out of my head that's been following me a bit around since childhood, that questions my ability to do anything worthwhile. Now I can give you a good example of how I don't have a lot of confidence, quite apart from the fact that sometimes I just want to delete my blogs and think, "Look, nobody will notice." If I suddenly disappear, of course people will because people have told me. But I've got another example, and this is my children's novels. I hardly ever mention them. Yes, sometimes I get out there and I have a little go at promoting them, but most times they sit on Amazon, doing nothing. I don't tell people about them. I'm afraid to ask for reviews. What if somebody doesn't like them? When I read my own book, when I wrote the book, I got a big sense of satisfaction from doing it. I did like it myself, so why shouldn't other people like it? Of course, if I go back, I probably could make the books better. That's the way it always is. But just believing that somebody might enjoy my books, no, I'll keep quiet. They're there if people want to stumble over them. If somebody feels they would like to write a review, then yes, they can. But I'm not going to ask. The other day, I did go over to Amazon. Because it's usually a place I avoid. I don't know why I was over there, but I found a new review on my first book, *The Angels of Abbey Creek*. It had been there since December, and this is how it goes: Oh my goodness, our whole family loved this book. We couldn't put it down. It's so great for the whole family, but anyone will enjoy it. Can't wait to read. The Angels of Gumtree Road. You know that review made me smile. I thought somebody enjoyed what I wrote. I brought a little bit of joy into someone's day or days as they were reading it, and of course, The Angels of Gumtree Road is now on Amazon as well. So that reviewer can go and buy a copy of The Angels of Gumtree Road, and I hope if they do, they will enjoy it as well. But I can just imagine when Imogen publishes her novel, she will tell people about it. She'll go out there and say, "Hey, hey, I've written this novel, and I really enjoyed writing it, and I'm sure you will enjoy it as well." And probably people will. There's nothing as infectious as somebody sharing something they believe in.
talking about Imogen and her writing, I interviewed Imogen the other day for a short vlog for her Facebook page about what she does when she's not making music. One of the things she does is write, and she's editing a novel which she hopes to publish by the end of this year. Imogen also published another vlog the other day on her Facebook page in which I think she also mentioned that book. But she mentioned something else as well. She mentioned a couple of songs that people have requested, ones that they would like her to record a cover of. And one of those songs is an Elvis song. Now, I've forgotten the title of it. I'm not familiar with many of his songs. I mean, I know Blue Suede Shoes, but it wasn't that one. And I was thinking about Imogen Elvis recording an Elvis Presley song. As she said in the vlog, she has the perfect name to record an Elvis song. And this reminded me of when my husband, Andy Elvis, sang an Elvis Presley song at a school concert. It was several years ago. They were having an end-of-the-year school concert, and each of the classes was presenting an item, either a song or a dance, a short skit, something like that. And the teachers decided that they would present something as well. They would have an item in the concert. Now, the teacher said, we must all get together and decide what we're doing. We must have a meeting. Let's have it after school. And they proposed a day. Now, the only problem was that on that particular day, Andy had an after-school sports session with some of the students. And he didn't actually get to the meeting, so he wasn't involved in the decision about what item the teachers were going to do for the school concert. He was quite surprised, later on, to find out that the teachers had nominated him to sing an Elvis song. Of course, they had to get his permission as well, his cooperation, and they were a little bit hesitant about that. They didn't think that he would agree to do it. But they mustn't know Andy as I know him. He's very adventurous. So when they said, Will you sing an Elvis song at our concert? Andy said immediately, OK. Of course, they didn't believe him at first. OK, you'll do it? And he said yes. So Andy came home from school and told us that he was going to sing an Elvis song. He had to find the music and practice it. He was going to hire an Elvis costume from a shop. He was going to get on stage at the school concert and sing Blue Suede Shoes. And he was going to have his very own backing group because some of the female teachers had volunteered to dress up in bright swirly skirts and, yeah, not sing, but dance around him. So Andy said, I'll have my very own backing group. And the girls said, Wow, Dad, you'll be a superstar. So Andy found the music online to Blue Suede Shoes, and then he started practicing. And one day he went to school and he told the other teachers what he'd been doing. I've been practicing the Elvis song. And the teachers said, You're going to sing? We only expected you to mime along with a recording. And they were all really surprised. Of course, Andy looked scornful, and he said, Mime? No, if I'm going to be Elvis, I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to sing. 
They couldn't believe he could sing. They said, you can sing? And he said, yes, because of course he can. And they wanted him to sing a verse for them. So he stood in the doorway of the classroom and he sang the first verse of Blue Suede Shoes. And of course they all said, you can sing. You sound like Elvis. Andy grinned. I think he had amazed all the other teachers. Yeah, miming wouldn't have been good enough for him. A day before the concert, Andy had to go to the hire shop to pick up his costume. He had a voluminous shirt, a pair of trousers, flared ones, bright blue, both of them. They were studded with fake jewels. The shirt had a zippered opening. He had a wide leather belt with chains attached to it, a chunky gold chain to wear around his neck, and massive dark sunglasses. Yes, sunglasses to hide behind. He even had a wig with sideburns. Now, if you know my husband Andy, or if you've seen pictures of him, you'll know he doesn't have a lot of hair. All he needed was a pair of blue suede shoes. Before Andy could bring his costume home, he had to deal with the paperwork. The shop assistant had already put his name down as Andy, but as she said, she needed his surname. So he said, it's Elvis. And the assistant said, Elvis? No, we need your real surname. And he said, my real name is Elvis. And the woman raised her eyebrows and said, really? No. She didn't believe him. She said, I'm afraid I'll have to ask to see your driver's license. So Andy got it out of his pocket and handed it over. The shop assistant looked at it and then she cried out, Wow, you really are Elvis. And she was so excited, she said, I will have to tell my daughter we had Elvis in the store today. This will make a good story because she'll never believe me. So Andy brought the costume home. Of course, he had to try it all on for us. He went into the bedroom, put on the costume, came out. Wow, we was too stunned to speak for a moment. He looked strange. And then we, the girls started advising him, Don't lift up your arms too high, Dad, otherwise your tummy will show. Be careful if your trousers, Dad, they're slipping down. Does that zipper come up any higher? We don't want to see your chest. Can you see through those glasses, Dad? They're very dark. And the last one. You've got hair. Lots of it. Yes, he was rather a strange-looking Elvis. As Andy said, I'm obviously Elvis Presley in his older, fatter days. But we thought he looked great. Because he was all dressed up, of course, the next thing we wanted him to do was to sing Blue Suede Shoes for us. We got the camera out. We recorded him singing. I took lots of photos. And then I had this bright idea. Would Andy let me write the story? Would he let me post his photos on my blog? Could I write a story called Andy Elvis Presley? Of course, you know that Andy is adventurous. So you'll know he said, okay. So you can find that story on my blog. I republished that one just the other day. I also posted a little bit about fathers and daughters spending time together. You might know that Andy and Imogen have sang in several music videos together.
Yes, when Andy was singing in the school concert, I bet he never imagined that one day he would be on YouTube with Imogen singing in music videos. The most popular video that they sang together is Loch Lomond. I wonder if you have seen it. I really enjoy watching it, not so much for the music, but they do sing very well together. Their voices blend beautifully. But I like watching it to see the relationship between father and daughter. They obviously have a strong relationship. I think that comes from spending time together, doing things together that they both enjoy, like singing. They both have singing lessons. They both sing in a couple of choirs together, but other things as well. They both like watching sport together. They listen to each other as they're talking about their own individual interests. They drink tea together. I made a podcast about that a long time ago, one of the very early ones. It might be podcast seven. I interviewed Andy. Did I mention that the other week? I think I did. So I'm wondering whether you share passions with your children. Do you take an interest in what your child likes to do? Do you invite your children to share your interests? Perhaps you go looking for something that you can share with each of your children. On to something different. I want to talk a little bit about trust, how we can trust our children. It can be hard to let go and trust them. How do we know that they will make the right choices? Perhaps we should keep control over them just in case. We don't want them making big mistakes. I think these are legitimate concerns. It doesn't sound sensible to let kids do what they would like to do. To allow them to choose instead of us telling them what to do. And I think it wouldn't be sensible to do that if we weren't connected to them, if we didn't have strong relationships. If we say to our kids, go off and do whatever you want to do, and we step back completely, and we're not connected to our children, yes, they might not know the right thing to do. They might end up making the wrong choices. And I don't think we can do that. That's called unparenting. Children do need guidance from us. But why should they listen to us? I think that they will only listen if we do have that strong relationship, that connection that I've been talking about. They must view us as the most important people in their lives. The ones they want to listen to. The ones whose values and opinions that they trust more than any other people's. So yes, we need to be connected with our kids. But how do we build up that connection? I think briefly it is by respecting them, by listening, showing them empathy. Life isn't always easy, and we have to show that we understand that and offer our help, but offer our help in the right way, I think. We can't just go in there, take over. We have to be invited to help. I mean, all that sounds, when I say it in a couple of sentences, too easy. Really, I could speak much more about making those connections, and I think I already have done in previous podcasts. 
So I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do instead is share with you an article that I found on the internet this week. It's by a person called Dr. Laura Markham, and it's from a site called Psychology Today. And the article is called How Children Learn Right from Wrong. And she says, when children feel close to their parents, they want to follow them. Going against their parents would be going against the most important people in their lives. That's why connection is 90% of parenting. Until the child feels the connection, she isn't open to our direction. I agree with that 100%. Connection is 90% of parenting. Parenting shouldn't be about taking control over our children and that when they do something different from what we expect, punishing them. I don't think that's how children will learn right from wrong. And when they do know what's right, they have this feeling within them. They know that what they're doing is the right thing to do. They're more inclined to do it. Laura Markham makes some really good points. She's talking about younger children than mine. I, I guess my children already know what is right and what is wrong. So this article is aimed at much younger children than mine. But I can remember a lot of these situations. For example, I'm sure that you have been in this situation as well as me, and that is when someone spills something on the floor. They might drop a glass of milk, a bowl of cereal, that type of thing. And what is our first reaction? Well, I know years ago I used to yell, How could you have been so stupid? You should take more care. And then, of course, they would cry and feel bad. And I wanted them to feel bad because I wanted them to remember to take care next time, don't do it again, to be too afraid, to make the same mistake. But, of course, dropping something on the floor is an accident, a mistake. We all make mistakes. And the better thing to do is to get down on the floor with the child and help clean up the mess. And to say something like, it's no big deal. We don't have to blame them. We can even say that we do these sort of things ourselves. Laura says further down in her article, When we're forgiving of their mistakes, they learn that no one's perfect, but they're more than enough just the way they are. Also, when we apologize and make amends, they learn to repair the damage they do. And when we try to see their side of things, they try to see our side of things, and they don't want to disappoint us. I like this one. When we delight in them, them being our children, they learn that they are of value. I think that is very relevant to what I was talking about last week and at the beginning of this podcast. I'm not going to go through the whole article because I'm going to put a link in the show notes and I hope you'll go and read it. But one last point I do want to read out is this one. Conversely, when we punish them, they learn that's how to solve problems. People with more power are allowed to use it against people with less power. How Children Learn Right from Wrong by Dr. Laura Markham on the site Psychology Today. And as I said, I'll also put the link in my show notes. I've just remembered there was one more paragraph in that article that I wanted to share because it leads on to something else that I'd like to talk about. The paragraph is this. Do you have to be perfect? 
No, of course not. But then you can't expect your child to be perfect either. I think that's a real problem for parents. We do expect our children to be better than us. A couple of years ago, I made a podcast, Podcast 21, called Being Honest, talking about mistakes and perfection. And I mulled over the question, do we have to be perfect as parents? Because of course, we're the example for our children. If we're not perfect, they will just copy our mistakes maybe. They need a good example. And of course, none of us is perfect. So does this mean that unschooling won't work, so that we do have to say to them, do as I say, and not do as I am doing. Well, no, we don't have to say those words. It doesn't matter that we're not perfect. As Laura Markham said, and this is my reasons for it, we don't have to be perfect because we love unconditionally. We're accepting of each other. We forgive each other. And it's much more important for us to be that way loving, accepting and forgiving than it is to be perfect. Yes, we're all going to fall down, but it doesn't matter. We get up again, we're forgiven, we keep on trying. We are loved regardless. I think about what a family is, and it is a group of imperfect people who are helping each other. Not just on the good days, but on the bad ones as well. We're helping each other get through the difficult days, to become better people. And we're not doing that by judging and criticizing, by telling each other how we should be. We're doing it by accepting and loving and forgiving, as I said, recognizing that life is difficult and that we get ourselves into trouble at frequent intervals, parents as well as children. And when somebody does get themselves into trouble, it's the role of everybody around them in the family to help them get back on track. Because sometimes somebody in the family gets themselves into trouble. They make a mistake. They get themselves into a situation where they don't feel they can get back on track. If it was left to them, they'd be still there. They don't know how to make things right. They feel maybe unlovable, unacceptable. And if somebody comes along and judges and criticizes, all that's going to do is to make them feel worse. It's not going to put the situation right. What everybody needs to do is to reach out a hand, to be understanding, to say, hey, life is difficult sometimes, and to pull that person back, back on track again. In episode 21, I did describe a, a very bad day that I'd had and it was close to the time of recording that podcast, so it was fresh in my mind. And I did describe how I'd had a really bad day, fallen into a pit of misery. I just didn't know what to do. I felt such a bad mother. I couldn't forgive myself. I didn't think anybody would ever want to know me. You know, just felt like running away. If I ran away, they wouldn't have to put up with me. I'd be doing them a favor. I went from bad to worse. The longer the situation went on, the more I felt unable to get myself out of it. And then one of my children, all they did 
will slip their hand inside mine and cuddle up to me. And everything just melted away. I knew I was loved. I knew I'd been forgiven. I knew they weren't judging me, criticizing me. I knew that they were recognizing that, yes, life is difficult. We all get into these kind of situations. It was okay. So if you would like to listen to more of that story and my thoughts on mistakes and perfection, as I said, you can find them in episode 21 of this podcast. I listened to that podcast the other day, the first time in a couple of years, and I listened because I was wondering whether the podcast had something in it that would be helpful to someone in particular. I couldn't quite remember what I'd spoken about. I did discover that it has a nice piece of music in it, so if, if for nothing else, you might enjoy the music. But there is another podcast I listened to the other day, and this one is episode 10, Should a Child Be Given the Freedom to Choose? We're going back to that topic again. It's really strange listening to old episodes, well it is for me, and I don't like doing it, really. Listen to my words, especially the early ones, because I think my voice is a bit stilted. I'm not comfortable with the mic. But this particular episode, episode 10, is an interview episode. I was speaking with my daughters Sophie and Imogen. I think Sophie must have been 13 at the time and Imogen 19. I asked them the question, should a child be given the freedom to choose? To choose what they would like to do? Would they choose to do nothing at all? Would they choose to do things that a parent wouldn't approve of? Doesn't a parent have more experience than children? Shouldn't their choices be more valuable? I'd forgotten one point that Imogen made in that podcast. She said that it is essential that children are given the freedom to choose when they are still young, when they are still within the family, when we're around to guide them. Yes, to have those connections, to pass on our values, to share with our children. Because it will be a whole lot harder for our children if they suddenly find themselves with limitless freedom once they leave home. They won't be used to making their own choices. What will they do with that sudden freedom? Will they make the right choices? Will they rebel and do things that they've never been allowed to do before? Make all the wrong choices because they were made to make all the right ones when they were at home. Surely it's better for children to make a few mistakes while they have us around us to help them out. Anyway, I think that was a good point that Imogen made. It was a good interview, I think, if you ignore my voice. The girls had some wonderful things to say. I think it's always good to listen to our children. We go asking other people what we should do with our children. And sometimes I think we forget to go to our own children and ask them how they're feeling, what they feel about the situation, what their opinions are about the way they learn, about the way they learn right from wrong, what they need from us. Talking of guiding kids, we can't just tell them what to do. But when we do have those connections with our kids, we'll know when we can share 
and what we can share, and we'll share it in the, the best way. We know when our kids are likely to listen to us, what they need to hear. Sometimes I share a few stories with my children about my past experiences. I tell them in a way that I hope will be entertaining to them, but that will have something useful for them to think about. One of those stories is my surgery story. I think I've already told this story before because I shared it with my son a few years ago, my son Callum. But I recently shared it with my daughter Sophie. So this is why the story is fresh in my mind at the moment. And I hope if you've already heard it that you don't mind hearing it again. Now I told the story to Callum one day. We went out to coffee together and I asked him how he was getting on at work. And he said that he was having a hard time. He wasn't sure that he had the skills necessary for his job. He felt a little bit out of his depth. And he was afraid of people getting annoyed with him, criticizing what he was doing. And so I told him my surgery story. I used to work in the veterinary physiology lab at Sydney University. This was many, many years ago. Our professor was rather a strict and foreboding person. He didn't have many people's skills. He kept himself aloof from us. If anybody made a mistake, we were sure to hear about it. I guess we were all a little bit in awe of him, also maybe a little bit scared of him. There were a few of us younger people, and at regular intervals the professor would come into our lab and he would say, I want somebody to set up surgery on Friday morning. And we wouldn't want to look at him. We'd all sort of look at the floor, look anywhere but at his face, because we knew that he was about to choose one of us to set up the surgery and that he would expect us to help him with the surgery on that morning. None of us liked doing that because he was a hard taskmaster. He never smiled. He always expected perfection. Sometimes I was chosen and I went through the agony of setting up surgery and helping out. And sometimes I sighed with relief when somebody else was chosen. But it got to the stage where I was afraid to go to work because I used to think, what if the professor asks me to do something today, like set up surgery, and I have to go through the agony of waiting to find out if I'm going to be the one, the one that has to do it. And so I decided that I would have to get better at my job. If I became so good at setting up surgery, I wouldn't have to worry about it. It would just be something that I would have the skills to do. I would become confident, and then when the finger was pointed at me, instead of shaking and thinking, oh, how am I ever going to do that? I would think, I can do that. I have the skills. I'm going to do a good job. So I started asking questions. I started making notes about everything that I needed to know. I started taking a great interest in the job. I became knowledgeable and skillful, and the professor noticed. He would come into the lab, and, and instead of looking at each of us in turn, he would just look at me, and he would say, Sue, I need the surgery set up on Friday morning, and I would like you to assist. And I would say, fine, I can do that. And I did it, and I was good at my job, and the professor started talking to me properly. We used to have conversations while we were working together. I wouldn't say we became friends, but he valued what I was doing. And I realized 
that he wasn't quite such a bad person after all. So I told this story to Sophie the other day because she had a little bit of upset at work. She said that she was expected to do things that she hadn't been trained in. She didn't feel she was doing a good job. So I told her the story and suggested that perhaps she could ask questions, go back to her boss and say, I haven't been trained in that particular skill. Would you mind explaining? Would you mind showing me how to do it? Taking a bigger interest, showing that she was prepared to learn. Because I think that most people are willing to share their skills if they are asked. Hardly anybody says no and doesn't want to share what they already know. Most of us take great delight in sharing our skills. And so that's what Sophie did. She went back to the person that she works with in the cafe. And that person said, I'm willing to help you. I'll look after you. And then when I'm not here, I'll get somebody else to look after you. We'll make sure that you're well trained. And Sophie has gone from feeling not very confident to being very proficient at her job. The manager of the cafe said the other day that you only have to show Sophie something once and she's got the idea. And now she wants her to be trained in coffee making, be a barista. She started off as kitchen hand, so she has progressed through the skills. And I think Sophie really loves this job. She won't want to do it forever, but it is earning her some money so that she can buy herself a professional camera because photography and videography, they're her big loves. But being a barista at a cafe, knowing how to serve customers, how to do all the other things that go with that job, all these skills will ensure that she's employable, that she'll get a job in any cafe. Hospitality is a big industry. People are always looking for well-trained cafe staff, especially baristas. It's always good to make mistakes or to be in difficult situations because we learn from them. And then later on, we can share those experiences with our children. Our children need to know that we are not perfect and that there were times when we were in similar situations to them. Just like we learnt, they can learn. We have more to learn, but that's okay. As I once said, if we knew it all, where would we be? Learning is exciting, and to learn, we have to make mistakes. I'm going to finish this podcast with an Evernote workshop up date. I told you last week I'm putting together an Evernote workshop for creating family, personal and homeschool journals. I'm hoping everybody would like to join me as we put together attractive journals that we're going to treasure as our source of memories. Our journals also, if necessary, will fulfill homeschool requirements. Well, I've got a couple of posts up now, the introductory post and video which is number one, and yesterday I published a second video screencast tutorial about setting up the basics, what our options are, and there's a blog post on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, that goes with that tutorial video. So if you haven't already seen my Evernote workshop, please go over to my blog and to my YouTube channel, Sue Alvers, and take a look.
I would love you to join me. One very last thing is my new podcast idea. A couple of days ago, I was thinking to myself, I don't know what I'm going to talk about in a podcast this week. Yes, this is my never-ending problem. Well, I've come up with some ideas today. I think I had to recycle a few of them. I did tell you about how I'd already spoken about some of these ideas in previous podcasts, but I've added in a couple of new stories, maybe, and that new article from Laura Markham, which is well worth reading. So I've made a podcast for this week, episode 91. But what if I can't find anything to talk about? Well, I just let the week slip by like normal and have some podcastless weeks. I guess that's frustrating for listeners, but I have a new idea. A new podcast series, maybe. I'm wondering if anybody would like to journey back through my blog. What if I take some of my blog posts, start at the beginning, and share my journey, my unschooling journey with you? I've been blogging now six years, so going back six years, Jim Rose was seven when I started blogging about unschooling. A lot of those early posts are about primary school children because of Gemma Rose's age at the time. Also, my ideas about unschooling have progressed over the last six years. My understanding about unschooling has deepened. So I could share some of those blog posts with you, but also add some commentary to them, relate them back to what we're doing today. I could sprinkle these blog post podcasts into my normal feed. So what do you think about that idea? Is that a ridiculous one or do you think that might work? Do you think that I should do a couple of sample podcasts in that style and see how we go? I always say that I'm happy to hear from everybody and I am. It is lovely when people either stop by my blog or send me a message on Facebook. So I hope that some of you will do that. Now, because I'm feeling confident today, I'm going to ask you to go over to iTunes and give this podcast a rating or write a review. I would really appreciate that. A lot of other podcasters end their podcasts asking their listeners to do this because, as they say, it gets the word out about their podcasts. And I would like to get the word out about unschooling. Maybe there are other parents out there who need to hear the message of unschooling. So I think that's all I want to say today. I would like to wish you a happy week. I hope you have loads of exciting unschooling adventures. And until next time, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. <laughs>